Uh, yeah. Camera fright. Uh, that would be that away. would be unfortunate for your career. <laughs> Hello, I'm Olivia. I'm any, oh, raise your hand if you've seen us also jointly part of the book club. Nice. Oh, yes. Book club is nice. To see you and to introduce you to this great store. If you hadn't been here before, there are two seats right up front. You can use if you want. We promise not to like spray you with water. <laughs> You're not in a splash zone. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, I'm Olivia, and it is my great pleasure to share my. You can't hear. Is this mic just for the camera or is it for life? Dun, da, da, da. Mm. Can you hear me now? Mm. Yay! Because you chose those comfy seats, and I, you know. <laughs> There's a price to pay for the comfy seats. Okay, I'm glad you can hear me. Okay, so uh, it has always been a great joy to be able to share passion for reading and to be able to pinch me meet authors is an incredible, incredible experience. So uh, it is very, very wonderful for us to have Rachel Hawkins here at the Poison Pen Bookstore in Scottsdale. As I understand it, it is your first time to the bookstore, and we're here to talk about The Heiress. There is so much to talk about because you have got a – colorful, twisty, creative, twisted, interesting <laughs> mind. You are a phenomenal storyteller, and we were looking back there at the stack of books of yours, and, I mean, it began for me with The Wife Upstairs, and I could not put that book down. So uh, let's talk about where these stories began. And I don't know, what do you think of Scottsdale so far? Oh, my gosh. Okay, Scottsdale is amazing so far. Um, I'm staying at the Valley Ho, which is like I'm like on a Brady Bunch vacation. It's amazing. <laughs> very sexy. I was like, yeah, it's so perfect. So I was like, oh, this is feeling very Ruby in her, like, 60s era. So it felt very appropriate. So, yeah, I am loving it. And this store is just the cutest. Like, it's so hard not to just like wander around and shop you know <laughs> well we hope that everybody is shopping for rachel's books we've got the collection there um let me begin first by i mean here here we are with rachel but where's Erin? <laughs> She's always with me. Uh, yes, so for those of you that do not know, I am also Erin Sterling. I wrote The X-Hex and The Kiss Curse. Um, so, yeah, I love when people are like, oh, because the uh, books are so oh, different. Uh, who reads Erin? <laughs> yay, oh, who, yay. Do you know Erin more than you know Rachel? Oh my yeah, God! That's so uh, yeah, great. that's amazing. And if you go to visit them, you just have to go to one place, which is even exactly, better. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, how does that? Who came first? <laughs> and how does that work? And what what are the differences in the rituals of sitting down to write? as Rachel and then to write as Aaron. I feel like it would, you would need a different outfit, <laughs> different snacks, different setting, all of it. Um, so yeah, so Rachel came first um, because I was writing as Rachel Hawkins for YA. Um, but I had not yet debuted with The Wife Upstairs. I had not yet sort of made my adult debut uh, when Aaron appeared. So basically, I had finished edits on The Wife Upstairs. And you know, the thing is, is that like in publishing, we work so far in the future, it's kind of crazy. Um, so, like, I had finished edits of The Wife Upstairs, a book that did not come out until January of 2021. Um, I had finished edits of that in, like, August 2019, so I just had all this time. And during that time, I thought, well, I want to write something, and what do I want to write? I want to write something so different from The Wife Upstairs. And so, yes, yeah, so The X-Hex was born from that time. I sort of sprung it on my poor agent. 
Um, and, but because the wife upstairs hadn't come out yet, when we sold it, we just felt like it was appropriate to go ahead and put a different name on it so that, like, the wife upstairs publishers didn't feel like they'd sort of gotten, like, pipped to the post, as they say, you know? Um, and so that was kind of how that began. But I've always been, like, such a big reader of so many different genres that it makes sense that I ended up writing a bunch of genres. Well, yeah. It's just even more fascinating. I mean, to me, it's just like, wow, there's all of these compartments and all of this creativity and these really <laughs> different, I mean, not only just stories and characters, but different voices and different perspectives to share, which is amazing. And, and that was so recently. Yeah. So how did... I mean, like, did you just poof first onto the earth as a fully formed human <laughs> in 2020-ish when these stories started coming yes. out? Or what was going on with Yeah, you? so I've been writing YA since 2000. My first book came out in 2010, yes. So I wrote YA for 10 years. I wrote 11 books, or I wrote like nine YAs and two middle grades. And that had been like a decade of my life, and it just felt like a good time to kind of leave the party. Um, I personal, I mean, obviously you can write YA no matter how old you are, but I had like turned 40 and was just starting to feel like, I don't know if I have anything to say to like the kids of today, you know, I, I'm kind of out of it. And now I'd be even more out of it. Like my son is 18 and like, even he doesn't understand some of the slang coming from like <laughs> middle school kids. I was like, what is Riz? And he's like, mom, we're not even... I've got an 11-year-old, yeah, okay, so I hear so, yeah, the word no. riz, riz all the time. Yeah. And he upped his riz when we gave him a gold chain. Oh, yeah, that, that, that would up riz, really yes. Good. That yeah. was a riz upper. Um, so, yeah, so I was just kind of done with that. And so I was. it felt really good to sort of transition into two new genres. Oh, um, but I was probably a little more, I think my eyes were a little bit bigger than my stomach there because writing two books a year is hard, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh, yeah, that sounds very hard, and it sounds hard when you're coming out with the wife upstairs to be honest so who here has read the wife upstairs big chunk of you right i mean it, it did you who thinks they read it the fastest just throw out how quickly you read it margaret what oh, a day or two less less than less than a day or two you two days few hours right it's how you could not put it down so when you're when you're creating a story like that and you're like this is how i'm going to step into this new space mm -hmm. in the book world um i mean you had to know right that it was an absolute <laughs> slam dunk well th the wife upstairs is a really interesting story sort of how it came about um and i always like to tell this because i always like to say that like writing is such a weird thing and publishing is a weird business and things happen in different ways so with the wife upstairs i was actually approached to write that so um, a company, a packaging company, they work for Warner Brothers called Alloy. They made uh, Gossip Girl, those books, that's them. Uh, you, the Netflix show, or Caroline Kepner's books, those are them. Several, several series are them. And so they were looking for someone. They wanted to do a modern Jane Eyre, and they emailed my agent and said, do you have anybody that would be interested in this? And God love my agent forever because she emailed me and was like, I know you've never done adult, I know you've never done thrillers, but this sounds bonkers, and I think you would really do a good job at it. So basically I had to audition for it. I sent them like 10 pages, and then they said, yes, we would like you to write this book. And so I flew up to New York, and I sat in a room with three executives from Alloy, and we um, plotted that book together. So every word in it is mine. I wrote all of it, and it was my idea to set in Alabama, and some of the plot twists were all, I mean, a lot of the plot twists were all mine. But it was like, it was kind of getting to learn a new genre and a new age group with training wheels on slightly because I had this team, 
helping me. Like they really, I mean, I'd been writing for 10 years, but they really taught me how to plot a book better. Like just the way that they do it made so much more sense to me. And so I was able to carry that then into the next books I did. So basically what happens is like, I wrote The Wife Upstairs after, you know, we had sort of worked on plotting it together and they sort of helped me with the outline part. And then together, Alloy and my agent sold it to St. Martin's Press. And so then, then it was edited through St. Martin's. So then it kind of even became more mine. Um, and I've not worked with Alloy again since. The other books, that's not their story necessarily. But that was just such a cool way to like get to shift gears. Because I really, I felt like I had this enormous editorial support uh, as I took that big leap. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, that seems like it's faded. And, and, mm. and maybe, you know, that was the nudge that you need. I'm someone who needs a deadline all the time. If I don't <laughs> have an intense deadline, I will just, like, sit and just hours will go by. And, like, what have I, what, what, what has happened? Like, nothing's happened, you know. So right. that is kind of like, oh, that was destiny telling you, this is the space and the time for you right now. Absolutely. And I fully believe in that. And I actually believe that's why, like, I tried to sell a couple of other YA books to my long-term editor. And she just was not liking any of them, which was really unusual. Like, that didn't normally happen. I was really kind of surprised when she was like, no, not this, maybe something else. And I took that as the sign of, like, girl, you will just keep, like, throwing stuff at the wall. And she's never going to like it because it's never right. You're not supposed to be doing this anymore. Um, so, yes, very, very happy that I listened to the universe on that one. And that collaborative process is very much like um, if you were working with a group for a television series. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. You, which is, I think, a lot of great creative ideas come from bouncing off of, of other people. Too, exactly. Yeah. And you can kind of say, like, when you, like, throw out a plot idea and someone can immediately go, no, see, that doesn't work because of this. And you're like, oh, right. But having that other voice say that sometimes is helpful. Sometimes your own voice doesn't get there till it's too late. So <laughs> yeah. that starts in a very unique way. And then you put it out into the world. And how did you feel when you, I mean, saw that it was, I mean, people were like, wait, I cannot put this book down. That was so gratifying. Um, and that was a big part of what I wanted to do in the thriller space was that I wanted to take some of the things that I'd learned from YA and apply them to adult books because I was like, adults like really fast-paced stuff too. Adults also want books that are high interest but, you know, not going to bog them down. I mean, I love, don't get me wrong, I love like a good 900-page paperback <laughs> any day. But I also know like sometimes, yes, you want something that makes a flight go by faster or, or like to sit in a waiting room. Like some of the books that I've read during like those times of my life are so special to me because it was like they were with me for, you know, didn't matter what they were about. Uh, they were absorbing in that moment. And that's what I really needed. So, so yeah, that was definitely something that I brought. And so, yeah, it was very gratifying uh, to see people picking up what I was putting down. <laughs> yeah. And then in this age of social media and everything is, I mean, the, the, what, what a book looks like and, you know, where, where it's posted and, right. and who's picking up on it on, on TikTok or Instagram or whatever it's, it then has not only a life of its own in terms of the reader and the reader experience, which is a new interpretation based on each person, you know, each person is having a, a, an intimate personal relationship with your words, but then also these other elements of the books kind of, there's, there's some things you just can't control. It just goes out there, right? Exactly. And that's a thing you have to really learn in publishing very quickly is that, you know, especially with things like book talk or whatever, you know, my thing is always like, I can't put my books on book talk, you know, like me 
making fun TikToks for my books for the most part is like it's not going to get the same reach as a reader organically picking it up and someone that's actually good at that app because all I use it for is sending cat videos to my husband <laughs> while he's like sitting next to me and then I'm immediately like did you did you look at the TikTok I sent you here I'll just show it to you on my phone like that that's all I use it for but the people that are so good at it I mean it's genuinely I think quite a skill and so, so yeah, I just kind of am like, I hope that they like it, yeah. but I cannot worry about it because I can't control it. Right. You know? So how does it feel when, what is it like to actually meet your readers in general and how has the, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it just feels like it, of course it's your, your work is so personal. So much time goes into it. It would be very hard to separate yourself from the work, even though we all, <laughs> you know, you in a, in a book, a lot of times, just like a movie or anything else, a bit of entertainment, a song, it kind of matters when it hits you as the reader. Absolutely, also, yeah. if you're in a mood and you don't like, there's some mm. days I don't like anything. I don't yeah. like anything. I don't like you guys. I don't <laughs> like the TV show. I don't like the book. I don't like anything. And then there's days when you're just like, oh my gosh, you're just the best, most receptive audience in the world, right? And I, you know, you eat up whatever is coming your way. So how? Uh, what has your experience been with that? And is that a, a part of the? The profession that, you know, you're ready for or you – a wave that you ride. <laughs> yeah, I love, love, love meeting readers because, like, so much of, like, writing is so solitary, obviously. I mean, by its nature, it's solitary. And so – Getting to, like, meet readers, it suddenly, it always kind of feels like a little bit of a victory lap. It's like even if there were only three people in this room, it would still feel like a victory lap because it's out there and people are reading it. And and it's so interesting to hear them then talk about these characters back to me, especially, like, thinking about the heiress. You know, I have so many memories of, like, writing this book, you know in my guest room really early in the morning. I like to write really, really early sometimes. Um, there's something kind of magic about when you're not alone in the house or in your neighborhood, but everything's kind of waking up, but it's just you. Um, and so I think about that. Like, it was just me and Ruby, like, for so long, and now she's yours, you know? And that is just, that's the neatest feeling. It's, I mean, because it's, Stephen King says that writing is basically telepathy, you know? I am putting an image that I have in my brain in your brain, and, and, yeah, getting to see that, like, that is so gratifying. That's why we get so, like, ugh, offended if casting of a TV or movie version of our <laughs> right, book doesn't yeah. look exactly like we pictured in our own minds because shouldn't everybody know what we're picturing in our own minds? Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. So we go through, we have, a, we have the, the wife upstairs, and then when you and I talked next, it was Reckless Girls. Yes. So also the space and the, I mean, we call this, a gothic thriller, mm -hmm. the the place, the scenery of where your stories are playing out is really, really important on top of the twists and the turns and the, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, I didn't see that part coming. Um, you took us to an island. Yes. You took us away for a moment. Mm -hmm. Did you get to go away? Was there a, a real-life inspiration for that getaway, or was this? If I remember, was this pandemic cooped up and I needed to fantasize about getting out Yeah, of this was absolutely pandemic yeah. cooped up and I needed to fantasize about going somewhere. Um, yeah, that book in so many ways, Reckless, Reckless Girls is like my most kind of divisive book in a lot of ways. People tend to like really, really love it or they really, really don't. And that's fine. You know, I kind of knew going in and I think the characters are younger in that one, which sometimes is part of that. Um, but no, that was just like the book I'd always wanted to write, like since I was a kid. Um, I, you know, I read a true crime book called In the Sea Will Tell, which was about murder on a deserted island. 
Um, so yeah, I definitely um, had the most fun making all that up. But then like later, like that year, like, you know, back in the, that brief point where we all got like vaccinated and it was all going to be like great. And, you know, we thought like the world was going to yeah. be normal again. Yeah. And so I went to um, Antigua in the Caribbean and I had this moment like sitting on a boat and like looking out and there was just like a sailboat in the distance, like on the water. And I was like, oh, that that's what I was picturing and Reckless Girls, and finally, like, finally there it is, you know, and I'm finally getting to kind of experience that myself. So, yeah, that was really nice. We also have out there on the table, and, of course, if you came in through this door, by the way, there is the display of Rachel's work. Uh, and, and the covers all go so gorgeously together, too. It's so They really cool. do. They've done such a great oh. job, I think, with the covers, where, like, obviously they're not a series, although there are, like, Easter eggs um, in all of them. They're, they are linked in a weird way. Um, and, um, but like there, it's like a brand now, you know, like I like that, like if you see this kind of floral vibe, you're going to be like, oh, that's a Rachel Hawkins uh -huh, thriller. Ah, yes. So. Uh, so the villa, I, the villa is, was one of my favorites of oh, thank work. you. I really found, I mean, I just got so swept up in it and I, 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 the, the, the timelines and the, I mean, I just, I found it to be really, really creative. What? What, what inspired that? How, how was that process for you? Yeah, the villa is really special to me. I mean, they're all special in their way, but, like, each one kind of has its own thing that makes it really stand out for me. And with the villa, it's, I've never written a draft that fast. Like, I'd been kind of poking at it and, like, outlining it and doing all this stuff. But when it came, like, when, like, the rubber met the road, it, it was, like, two weeks for the first draft because I just felt like I was, like, channeling something. Now, I edited a bunch. Like, then it was months and months of editing with my editor. You, do, you don't get a book in two weeks. Um, but that was just, like, so – I've never, ever written a book that fast before where I just felt like it was, like, I couldn't stop almost. I was writing, like, eight, ten thousand 10,000 words a day and, you know, eager to go back the next morning, which was crazy. But <laughs> that usually does not happen. Yeah, that – I mean, I just – I need that to be a movie. Is that yeah. going to be a movie? Or uh, they, it's in, like, various stages. It came really close with, like, a really cool actress, mm -hmm. but alas um, – <laughs> It's hard sometimes to make, actually, like, I hadn't really thought about this, but um, because of the 70s aspect, the period piece aspect makes it much more expensive. Oh, like, yeah. like, 1970s cars suddenly make your budget skyrocket uh -huh. or whatever, so I understood that. Um, but, yeah, I'm hoping, though, because, like, all of my books, I think, are very um, cinematic. Yes. Like, I think cinematically. Mm -hmm. I see them as scenes in a movie. Um, so fingers crossed. Well, yeah, and <laughs> one of these days. Yeah, and it, it helps us with the experience. I mean, we're 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 in it, and it, it just it, it's got to be. Um, and yeah, it's all got to be. Okay, so now we're getting to how, what brought you to Arizona in the first place. The heiress uh, just released just oh just a week ago last yes, Tuesday. Yes, just a week right? ago. Yeah, that's Already right. Already cracking the bestsellers we saw. On yes, USA yes, Today's USA Today. So congratulations! Thank you, thank you. It was very exciting. Yeah, I mean that that's got to feel great. It really does. It's always like again, it's really gratifying to see, and and also like you know, just seeing that like because we can see sales numbers and things and being like oh. Like, that's even better than the Villa's first week. Like, that's so cool. Like, the idea of, like, a readership really growing with me yeah. has really been, like, I'm so, so grateful for that because it's not always the case. So. Yeah, and people can go on a journey with you. I mean, it, right. you're looking at that table and going, oh, okay, we read that, 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 and that. And, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe there's one left that somebody uh, is ready to enjoy. And so it's, I mean, that's a lot of time 
And that's a deep connection it that a reader is having is. with an author that they're going to go back to time and time again. Absolutely. And, and there have even been, like, some people on this tour. I had um, a girl come to one of my signings in North Carolina, and she had all of my books from, like, my YA back. And then she showed me a picture, and she was like, you were my first author signing when I was 12, 12 years ago. <laughs> and, and there I was with, like, one of my best friends, Allie Carter. And, like, I was like, that is so incredibly, like, thank you so much that you've let me be a part of, like, your reading life. Like, from when you were a little girl and now you're a grown-up standing in front of me. Like, that is, like, the biggest honor, truly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really, really cool. But it can also make you feel old. Well, there's also that, yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. I sent it to Allie Carter. And, like, I was like, look at us. And she was like, oh, we were so young then. And I was like, I know. Publishing hadn't, like, ground us down yet. Yeah, seriously. I swear there'll be people who are in their 40s. And they're like, yeah, I was watching you when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh yeah, time. Oh. Time. Doctor, call the surgeon. Of the heiress. What sparked it? I mean, Ruby is I want to know everything about how she got in your mind. I mean, this this is, uh, and, and, and I had finished this uh, uh, quite a while ago. Um, thank you, Nick Alley. Yeah. And um, so uh, my friends and I were, were driving, and we were listening to oh, yeah. the last couple of chapters to sort of refresh the memory, and I mm -hmm. had listened to how the book opened up as well um, earlier today. And it's just, I kind of was laughing because it was like, and I've got one more secret and one more secret yeah. and one more. There's a lot of twists. And if you have not read this yet, I mean, just get ready. And you want to pay attention to every single word because so much is happening. It is crazy. Yeah. So where do you begin mapping out a story like this? Yes, this one. So I do spend an awful lot of time on like outlining okay. for one. So yeah, so like that's one thing, you know, it takes me months to kind of get the book in shape where I kind of know where all the twists are. But yeah, this book, like, it was inspired by so many different things. Um, I think sometimes there's this idea that as authors, you know, we have an idea, like, it just, like, springs into our head, like, that's a book, yeah. And it's it's not that. It's more like we've got a collection, like a trunk of junk in our brains. And every once in a while, some sparks, we're like, oh, I've, I've got something that can go with that. Hold on a second, you know, and eventually a book uh, springs forth. So I knew that I wanted to do a story about family. Um, and I always say, too, my books kind of fall into two categories. They, and, you know, there's obviously people and places in both uh of, of all of my books but like I tend to think of them as like this book is more about people this book is more about a place like and so like wife upstairs is people reckless girls is place the villa is place with the heiress we're back to people and so I wanted to do a book about family and and then in fact, the original title for this book was The Inheritance. Um, but then my publisher was like, Nora Roberts is calling one of her books that. And I was like, oh, she can have it. It's fine. Like, <laughs> Nora Roberts can have anything she wants. Uh, I love her so much. Uh, but that was kind of what I was thinking about, though, was like the idea of inheritance and like what all do we inherit, not just in terms of material things, although that's obviously a big issue in The Heiress, but also, like, we inherit things biologically, you know, our height, our eye color. We inherit grudges sometimes. We inherit a love for certain football teams or whatever. And sometimes we inherit not-so-great things, um, like alcoholism or, you know, or some of the things that Ruby wonders if she inherited. Um, and so, yeah, that was all kind of in my head. It was like a book about family. Um, and that was sort of where it started for me. Well, I mean, I, for one, if I'm 
going to be murdering people. I do want to be able to blame it on somebody else or blame it on my genetics. You know, it's like, well, how am I supposed to overcome this natural <laughs> desire that's really ingrained in my DNA, right? Exactly. So. Uh, tell us about Ruby, and, and to get a gauge of, of our group here, how many of you have read The Heiress already? Just out last week. Okay, so yes, got it, great. Okay, good. So yes, Ruby so we'll is, yes, we, yeah, well, no spoilers, yes. no spoilers. Um, Ruby is like, was so much fun to write. I mean, just like her voice came so naturally. In fact, when I was first drafting the book, originally um, Ruby's sections were not the letters. The letters played a part, but we weren't necessarily reading them. Um, they were just sort of scenes, like how in the villa, it, you know, when we have flashbacks, yeah. it's third person or whatever. But it just wasn't working because I thought like Ruby, you know, when the book opens, Ruby's been dead for 10 years. So she's not a present character in that sense, but she is so present in the minds of the characters that I was like, we just, we've got to hear her voice. And, and we have to understand what was compelling about this woman, even as these really dark and horrible rumors began to swirl around her. Um, but why were people still so drawn to her? And I think when you hear her voice, you kind of get it. Um, and so, so yeah, she was just, and, and she was almost like, um, sometimes when you're writing, it, it's not so much like you're creating it, it's like you're finding it. Stephen King says that every once in a while, it's, it is. It's like, you're, you know, how a sculptor will say he can see, like, the statue in the piece of stone, and he's just got to get the rest of the stone away from it. It can be similar to that, where, and that's kind of how I felt about Ruby. Like, she was just always there, and when I was ready to write about her, there she was, you know. I just got mesmerized. Look at she's she's got the Ruby. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> that's a, a potentially cursed piece of costume jewelry. But <laughs> this other ring is actually significant to this book, too. Um, my grandmother was also much, much married, um, and so those are various oh. diamonds that her various husbands gave her that she had Whoa. put into one ring. So, wow. yeah. Oh, how yeah. efficient. Exactly, exactly. She didn't murder any of them that oh, I know of. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, no, no. She just mostly divorced them. Right. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the others were natural causes. Exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, it's all Allegedly, the allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who do you, and, uh, and I guess... Maybe you don't like to do this, put, putting a real person on. But I, I, I was like, is, 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 does Ruby look like, I mean, like, like an Elizabeth Taylor? And, and, you know, I mean, what is, she is just, she has got to be undeniably sexy and alluring and, you know, mysterious and uh, maybe diabolical and, mm -hmm. you know, really an, an exceptional person at being able to uh, figure other people out, yeah. at least eventually, and take care of herself. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a really satisfying as a woman character to dig into. Okay. I mean, really, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, and I think that that's, you know, I've, I've said before that my books are very much like the sort of general theme that brings them all together is that there's stories about what happens when you push women into corners and when you make a woman feel like she doesn't have the choices or the avenues that she needs to live her life on her own terms. What lengths will women go to to free themselves eventually and usually those lengths are murder because I write thrillers uh, but it's it's almost very much like you know Chicago it's very much he had it coming so um, and, and again I think sometimes that's really satisfying just in a you know uh, in a fictional way 
but we can kind of get out some of our our lady rage uh, that way. Mm. Yeah. So there is, and I and I shouldn't have skipped to uh, all of this good stuff without giving you the opportunity to what was it? What's the elevator pitch description of the heiress? Uh, the majority of our group here is still yes. going to go home and enjoy it tonight. Yes. So. The heiress is the story of Ruby McTavish, Callahan Woodward Miller Kenmore, which I, that's the I last, not have to say that. no, it's, it's the last night of tour. So this is like, you know, you guys are really getting that the smoothest version of that at this point. Um, uh, obviously much married. She's also a, has been a very wealthy and influential woman in the small town of Tavistock, North Carolina, a place I made up, but that is uh, very close to Asheville. So up in the mountains. Um, Ruby, like I said, as the book opens, Ruby's been dead for 10 years. When she died, she left everything to her adopted son, Camden. Uh, this obviously did not go over well with the other McTavishes, but Camden des decided he didn't want anything to do with Ruby, the house, the money, any of it. So he's been living in Colorado with his wife, Jules. However, because this is a Gothic, uh, the death of a family member pulls them back into the shadow of Ashby House, where it turns out that Ruby had some secrets they didn't know about, but it's possible that the two of them also have a few secrets. So that's the dun-dun-dun. So many secrets. <laughs> Let's just say that. So many secrets. Um, and it's, it's, it, are there, were there, are there moments like that you, when you're writing a story like this, that you're kind of surprising yourself? Like, oh, I didn't know that about, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And without giving spoilers, there was a moment in writing this book. Like I said, I outline before I write. So I tell myself the story. And part of that is so that I can sort of be sure that the twists are happening in an organic way. Um, I say that thriller readers are like some of the smartest readers there are. And y'all read so many of these books. So I know I can't like always surprise but I'm hoping to at least satisfy. So even if you did see it coming, you're like, yeah, but it's good. Um, but I'm also like always trying, I always want the reader to feel like they're one step ahead of the characters and I'm always trying to stay one step ahead of the reader. Um, so yeah, I have these like really, you know, big outlines, but at the same time I leave room to surprise myself. And in this case, there was a moment, again, without spoilers, where a character, as I'm writing a scene, the character is suddenly like, hey, I know that secret. And I was like, you, you do? And they were like, I do, I've, I've known this whole time. And I'm like, oh, well, that kind of changes things, but I like that better, actually. It's good that you know that, you know? So those kind of things can definitely happen, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Whitty, ahead of your editor, who in your life are the people that you share your stories with or your characters with or as you're hashing out kind of where things are going or do you keep it really to yourself until you feel like it's... Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag. So like I no one sees the writing ever ever ever. I'm like super super superstitious about that. My editor like my agent doesn't even get it until like my it just goes straight to my editor. Um, but I will bounce ideas off people, and I will like um, especially because this book was so complex. I read the outline to several people, just basically saying, listen and tell me if if anything doesn't make sense or, or if it contradicts something. And in fact, thank God I did, because with this one, the original outline, I was reading it to my husband and he doesn't like, you know, read my stuff, which is fine. I actually don't like people in my life to read my books, <laughs> which is so weird. But like, I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's like work me. You don't have to worry about it. You know, real me. Um, it's, I don't get it. But anyway, he's a scientist though. So he's got a very analytical mind and he is like the first person to like find a plot hole. So I was like, okay. So I read out the whole thing to him 
and and he he listened and listened and then he was like that that last little bit like the second paragraph I was like yeah and he's like um would would that I think that makes that incest <laughs> and I was like oh my god it makes it incest <laughs> like I did not and he was so funny cause he was like I mean if that's what you want to write you write write it like I I can't tell he's read my books he's like you can do whatever you want please I would never um, but I was like no no I don't think Target's picking up my incest book so I'm gonna I'm gonna change that and come up with a different twist which is what I did <laughs> also that didn't make it into the title either no that no 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 inheritance incest, incest book yeah, yes no. exactly <laughs> kissing cousins by Rachel Hawkins <laughs> Rich kissing cousins, right? <laughs> yeah, right? At least you got to be rich if that's going to be your uh, your storyline. <laughs> so um, as you're creating the characters here, I mean, you obviously must be having an amazing time going through the stages of, in particular, Ruby's life. Because, of course, we've got her son. We've got Jules, the wife. They're, you know, she's learning more about his life and and wants to know where he came from and you know hasn't yet been exposed to all of this and these stories of ruby i mean ruby's life is uh remarkable from the age of three when she's the subject of national news at that time yes so when ruby is three uh, in 1943 she is kidnapped um and it becomes, yes, a huge news story because she's, you know, the daughter of a very wealthy family. They were just on a lovely picnic in the woods, and now the baby's gone missing. Um, she was returned to her family. Her kidnapper was killed while escaping jail. Um, and But it becomes this huge kind of cause celeb thing. But it also causes Ruby to have a lot of anxiety about where she came from because there's this, you know, with no DNA testing and the, and her being so small when she was taken, there's this kind of lingering doubt as to whether or not she is Ruby McTavish or was she just some other child like a cuckoo in the nest replacing the daughter that had been lost. Um, which again also then ties into these ideas that I'm talking about, about family and inheritance. And as Ruby, it, you know, as her actions become increasingly dark, beginning to wonder is this nature versus nurture basically is if am i really ruby mctavish if i'm not are these things i'm doing is it coming from from a different family mm -hmm. um and so and that is actually based on a very real case um in 1911 a little boy named bobby dunbar disappeared in louisiana while out on a picnic with his family in the bayou and so everybody because they were in the bayou was like well he probably drowned or alligator or whatever awful but then he was returned to his family. They found him, and his kidnapper spent two years in prison. Um, he grew up. He went to World War II. He had kids, uh, grandkids, eventually died an old man. And then one of his grandchildren was like, we, we should do a DNA test now, like now that he's gone. And it caused this massive rift in the family where some of his kids were like, we don't need to do that. Like, what's the point? Um, but they did it, and, uh, yeah, he was not Bobby Dunbar. <laughs> And so these people had, and of course, like, they'll never know, like, did they really believe it was him? Yeah. Did they just tell themselves, oh, yeah, it's got to be him so that they didn't have to deal with the actual loss? Um, and I just found that so fascinating. And that was like a thing that, seriously, I listened to an episode of NPR about that, like, in 2014. So it took almost 10 years for it to make its way into a book. 
uh, but it eventually did. So. Oh, I love that. And I guess you know, you're you're wrestling with themes not only you know with this this page turning a twisty. Oh my gosh, what's you know what's going on and um, you know the, the the slow reveal of so many secrets, but playing with as, as you mentioned our sense of identity and 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 what shapes us and if we reject the people in our family who you know or or, or in our circles that have qualities we don't like, you know, does that really make us different from them or are we always inherently you know alike? Is it a place that shapes you? You know, or, or can you be somebody else when you're away from home and then you know you come back to this life and you would return to who you may have been and so I mean there's just a, there's a lot of depth to what's going on with all of these people yeah absolutely and again like that's you know the reason that Camden is adopted you know so he's also kind of got that sort of thing of where did I come from and what were Ruby's motivations in adopting a child when she was well into her 50s um, why did she suddenly decide to adopt a kid? You know, what's that all about? And Jules also has had a very rough sort of background that she's very much trying to escape because for her, Ashby House only means money and prestige and privilege and the security that comes with a big family name. And so she doesn't quite understand Camden's reluctance to embrace what she sees as like real power. Um, but again, that's his family situation, has made him so wary of all the strings attached to it. So yeah, they're all really wrestling with variations of the same idea, which I think always makes for a satisfying kind of narrative. But if I was hustling in a job that I didn't enjoy and I knew that my husband had uh, an inheritance of... Uh, yeah, it's a nine-figure inheritance. And yeah, he won't touch right? It. I, yeah. I, I think I'd have some gripes. Yeah, Jules is, yeah, Jules is correct to have those gripes. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I need to sound off and say, I mean, could the people really be that bad? <laughs> I don't think so, right? I mean, how big is this house? It's really, 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 really I big. I think we can make this work. Right? Yeah. I think so, definitely. Um, as as your uh, alter ego, uh, Aaron Sterling, where are you in those? I mean, so you're writing one of each years is your goal? Yes. So is that um, like a, a commit, like a contractual commitment that they'll come and arrest you if you <laughs> fall behind? They'll yell at me and not give me my money. So <laughs> okay. that's almost as bad as being arrested. <laughs> uh, I did end up pushing back uh, the the third Aaron Sterling book last year. Um, it was supposed to come out in fall of 2023, but I just, the heiress really took a lot longer than I'd expected, and so my brain was just like so eaten up with that, and um, so yeah, we have pushed that one into, but it will be out fall of 2024, I'm working on it right now, I'll actually turn in a bunch of pages of it tonight when I get back to the hotel, and um, and yeah, so that's really exciting, I'm and really kind of excited to wrap up the Graves Glen books for now, uh, there's more paranormal romance stuff coming, but but we're letting those witches rest after book three for a little bit. <laughs> you mentioned some Easter eggs. Can you give us some uh, clues between these other books at least? So yeah, this if you read the villa, um, a character from Reckless Girls may show up. It's a little subtle, but if you if you look, there there's a, a character that you could be like, huh, that reminds me of someone. And then there is in the heiress, uh, there's someone wears something that it, it was referencing back to the villa. So you'll, you'll see that too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's always fun for me. And so the thriller that I'm writing right now, I'm figuring out a way. I haven't quite figured out yet how I'm going to work in the heiress, but I will. Because mm. <laughs> I love the Easter eggs. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. So what, what advice do you have? And then we'll take some questions. What advice do you have for, I know that we have some writers here in the audience and I know we have some 
writers who are maybe writing for the first time, what do you, I mean, what kind of hurdles did you figure out how to overcome when you were first kind of sitting down? I mean, obviously there's a lot of self-doubt when someone's beginning. Um, now you at least have to sit down with the confidence of like, hey, I, I can write a book and I can sell books too and people are reading them. And so that's got to be, you know, take away some of that. But Yeah, I think like the biggest thing is that um, – you know, again, writing books is genuinely hard. This was my 17th book. It doesn't get easier. You know, it, it doesn't, um, it's not like you write one book and suddenly figure out all books. The biggest thing you figure out is that you know you can finish. And that really is, for me, um, that was the biggest thing, like finishing my first book and going, okay, I can get to the end. Um, I think there's a real tendency for writers who are just starting out like they'll get about 20 or 30,000 words in and then they'll be like this is so hard or the idea is bad oh I've got this other great new idea this will this is the one but no like every single writer feels that at 20 to 30,000 words that's just the feeling you get you've been working on it for long enough now usually that you're just kind of tired of it <laughs> you know um, and so so pushing past that and getting to the end that is like the biggest thing. And and so many aspiring writers never manage to actually even finish anything. So if you can finish something, you're already really ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think people put a pressure on themselves. Like they want, if you love to read and you really know, uh, you know, you know what's a great book to you and you want to put that out into the universe. You don't want to put out some piece of junk. I mean, you know? yeah. so, so that's, I think, where people get kind of, you would naturally get in your own. It's like cooking. So I love food, but I know that my cooking is not that great. <laughs> so do I want to go through all of the stress of cooking and then just to be semi-dissatisfied with the meal, or would I rather have somebody else cook? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, and have it all be better. And, and yeah, and you, you can't compare, like, what your, like, your manuscripts to, like, what you're reading on the shelves, too, because, oh, my gosh, those books go through so many rounds of edits and, like, other people's notes making it better and just, there's so many hands that are on these books that no one ever sees because they're not on the cover. They're usually in the acknowledgments, though. Do you read your own work after it's done, or is, it, or is this just done to you? Sometimes. I know I actually did reread The Heiress just last week because I was like, it, you know, again, I finished it up in, like, early 2023. So it's just been a while, you know, since I familiarized myself with it. So I, I literally bought the ebook of my own book because I also wanted to read it as a book, not just still the document on my computer and and I was surprised like I really I enjoyed it you know and uh so uh, I read the whole thing I was like oh yeah this is pretty good um so so I'm kind of going to go back and reread some of the others now because I I had not realized that like I kind of could do that and it wouldn't <laughs> it's hurt. loud I mean of course I like immediately found like a couple of mistakes and was like damn it you know <laughs> like timeline stuff you know like I'd said like a few weeks here and then it suddenly is a few months you know but I was like man so many eyes were on that and we didn't pick it up until like I was reading it just now, so <laughs> it happens like that sometimes. So now I want to see on Goodreads all of your books with a, a review right at the top of <laughs> Rachel Hawkins says five stars. Yeah, this is amazing. I this ought is to get it. the best thing I've read for yeah. myself in a while. I ought to give them all five stars. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to. You absolutely have to. So um, we have some questions here today. I know you do. I can come to you with a mic or you can just shout them out or yes. Yeah. 
There definitely could be. I mean, it's definitely open-ended. I don't have plans for anything right now, um, but there's definitely a possibility. One thing I've really wanted to do is, like, I love, like, little, like, Christmas mystery novellas. I just read The Christmas Guest by Peter Swanson. It was really good. And I love, like, things where, like, like men sit in, like, big leather chairs in some secretive club and tell, like, stories that are kind of spooky or whatever. So I've wanted to do, like, every Christmas to do, like, the Rachel Hawkins Murder Lady Club where, like, the heroines of, like, all these books, like, they meet up ever like, at their club, you know? And then so, like, I would love to do that one day. It would be ridiculous because, like, why would these women ever, like, be in the same place at the same time? <laughs> but I don't care. Oh. I was like, maybe we can just, it'll be, like, fanfic of my own books. So. <laughs> But I, I think yes. But yeah, there definitely could more. be. Yeah, yeah. Something more, 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 more. I mean, just because it was just that was the kind. Of, especially it, it just. I remember that feeling of I cannot put this down. And I was on vacation, and nobody talked to me because I. This is like this is it. <laughs> this is it. This is the peak of my trip right now. So I don't need. I don't need any human interaction. This is so good. Questions? Questions? Yes. Ooh. Oh, yeah, a place or an era to visit next. Well, And does the publisher pay for any of this travel? Because that, <laughs> no. that should impact that. No. But it is tax deductible, so there is that. Like, <laughs> if you do it right. Um, but um, so right now I'm exploring something I've wanted to explore for a long time. The thriller that I'm writing for 2025 is called The Storm, and it's in uh, set in coastal Alabama. Uh, in a sort of made-up town like Gulf Shores or Orange Beach. Because, for one thing, people forget that Alabama has beaches. And so uh, it's, a, it's an awareness movement on my part that, like, <laughs> we have towns called Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. Like, what do you think they're close to, guys? Um, but so I've really wanted to explore that part of my own kind of backyard for a long time. So that's really fun. I would love to do, like, an old Hollywood book at some point. Um, I haven't done anything really... There's, like, some Hollywood stuff in the storm, but it's more like mid-2000s teen soaps. It's like, you know, the OC and things like that. Uh, so, but I would love to do, like, a 1950s glamorous Hollywood kind of thing. So maybe one of these days. I like that. Question? Yes. Yeah, okay, so... I don't usually read. I don't, like, make it a practice to read my own reviews. I tend to read on NetGalley, like, early on when, like, it really is just, like, in that sort of galley stage. And, like, I like to see those kind of early reactions. But after that, not so much. Um, the thing is, is I'm, I've been doing this long enough now that I have a really thick skin about that kind of stuff. And A, I remind myself that there are a ton of books that people absolutely rave about and love that I hated. And I would have left a, like, one-star review of, like, what even was this if I weren't an author and that, you know, wouldn't, that's not appropriate. Um, so I remind myself of that. Like, that taste is, like, highly subjective. And also that, like, yes, books are very personal and we spend a lot of time with it and all of that. But at the end of the day, to get, like, super capitalist about it, I have made a product. And it is totally fine for the consumer to say, I did not enjoy this product. Um, and so that really helps. But also, like, I'm an only child in a fire sign. It's really hard to dent my self-confidence. So... <laughs> We just want people to buy that product, exactly. right? Exactly. It's like, well, you still bought it, so right. oh well. 
Now, now you maybe shouldn't even be allowed to give any sort of negative review if you borrow it from the library, which a lot of us do, because then, you know, you, you weren't really... We're not a consumer then. Yeah. So that's a good point. So, you know, on Amazon where it's like a verified purchase or whatever, it would have to be like you, you can't borrow it from a friend and have anything negative to say, only positive. If you're borrowing it from anybody, it's all five stars. I think that's a good I think that's a good life policy. More questions? Yes. Yeah, that is very much a conscious decision. I started doing that in Reckless Girls um, at the suggestion of my editor, and, who was like, I really want us to kind of build up the mythology of the island more. Like, what could we do? And we sort of brainstormed and came up with this, which I, like, absolutely lifted this particular technique from Stephen King's Carrie, which was the first book that I had read that did that when I was, like, a teenager, and I was so blown away that you could do that, um, that you can use, like, emails, or, or not emails in Carrie, but... You know, newspaper articles, magazine articles, text conversations, podcast transcripts um, to sort of build the world of the book. And I just think it's really fun. It's really sort of become now a part of the brand. Um, so I just sort of do it in every book now. But And, and one day if it doesn't feel like it fits there, I'm never going to try to force it in if it doesn't fit. Um, but I think it's A, it's such a great way of... It can be a great way of info dumping, too. Like, you can get a lot of information across without having a character have to do, like, a as-you-know-Bob kind of situation. Um, but also it can be used to enhance, again, that, that legendary kind of feeling. The, the reality of this world kind of gets reinforced, I think, uh, when you have those little interstitial bits. So, yeah, I just love doing it. And, um, and again, I, just, I think it's kind of now sort of part of what I do, which is really fun. And that is really enhanced sometimes when you're listening to the audio because, like, in, the, in particular for this one was it's a different voice and you're coming in with this. Uh, how involved are you in that aspect? Oh, in audio? It? Yes. Yeah, so I listen to the actors. Like, usually the team, the McMillan audio team, um, already kind of has people in mind, you know. Um, but sometimes I can suggest, or they'll ask, do you have anybody in mind? So, for example, with the Villas, I, they were like, do you have anybody in mind? And I was immediately like, well, like Julia Whelan is like setting the world on fire with her audiobooks. Can we see if she's free? And thank God she was. Because I later learned that like she has like people, people will just buy Julia Whelan audiobooks just because she read them. And that is so cool to me. I make a um, choice of reading yeah. based upon that. Completely. Exactly, exactly. Because she's so good. Um, and so, and a lot of people have told me, it's like, well, her voice is like comforting to me now. And so I love that. So yeah, I get sent, um, but if they don't know exactly, or they have an idea, they still send me auditions. Um, and so sometimes they're like, um, they're reading the actual book, but sometimes it's, you know, just other clips of things that they've done. Um, so yeah, I love, love, love doing that, but it always makes me feel bad. I don't like to choose anybody. You know, when they send you like two people, you feel really kind of crappy being like that this one's better, but this one was really good, you know? Um, and in this one in particular, I also requested Patty Murren, who does, who is Jules's voice, because I specifically wanted someone that was, um, mostly doing like romance and like comedies almost. Because in Jules' mind, she sort of is, and this is a rom-com for her in some ways. And so, um, and so I wanted somebody that the audience immediately, like, 
felt connected to and they were like oh I like this girl okay like because you're, you're you know she addresses the reader directly like you're you're kind of in cahoots with Jules a lot um, and so in that case yeah I did make a specific request and this book, of course, is very centered around Ruby and the history and kind of, you know, what legend of her and, and what she's guiding and not. But Jules is very much our our person, our, our entry into this world and this life, right? Exactly, exactly. Again, a good gothic. You know, you're the, the wife who doesn't know any of this being, Ooh. I mean, you see it like in, you know. Big place. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's Rebecca, right? Like that's, you know, the, the gold standard of that particular trope. Um, so, yeah, I needed her to be, I, I needed you to feel like you liked her. <laughs> when you are, and you, you're writing in, in multiple genres, obviously, but do you, what do you read, and do you take a break from reading in the same genre? I mean, I've ha heard authors say, okay, I won't read, you know, if this is the type of book I'm writing, I'll only read a romance or historical right. fiction or something else. Um, or does it make you be, you know, does it enhance the mindset where you're creative? Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I read a lot still, um, but I, I don't read as much in thriller or romance as I used to before I started writing them. Um, but usually it goes, like, if I'm writing romance, then I can kind of go back to reading thrillers for a while and vice versa. I also, just to be honest, get a lot of stuff sent to me, obviously, like, for blurbing and stuff. So, so much of, like, thriller and romance is kind of, like, part of my job now to read it. Um, so, for just sheer pleasure, I read a lot of nonfiction. Uh, and I'll read nonfiction about just about anything. Um, that's I've joked like I've gotten super into those like Ben McIntyre World War II Cold War spy nonfiction books. And I was like between this, my love of yacht rock. I like to grill. Am I someone's dad? <laughs> like this is very dad behavior of me. Uh, I really like that show Reacher now. So yeah, just slowly becoming a dad. Um, so but that and I love historical fiction. Like um, but it's hard for me. I really love like medieval set things and unless you're like Ken Follett like that's so hard to find but if anyone has any recommendations you know hit me up later <laughs> fantastic questions yes no question but I just love how your dress matches the <laughs> <laughs> thank you that's very much on purpose so <laughs> thank you I basically you know like that magic school bus show where like Mrs. Frizzle she always dresses like to match the theme <laughs> that is me in publishing so yes thank you I, I packed a lot of green dresses on this <laughs> on this tour <laughs> did you enjoy being able to go back out on book tour oh it's been so great because I didn't get to go out for the wife upstairs or reckless girls wow. and so the villa was really the first time I sort of got to to go out and um and so yeah this it's just been so fun to sort of be back out there it's exhausting I kind of forget like Where you know I? yeah exactly or like I've forgotten my room number like in every hotel because I'm still thinking of the hotel I was in the night before um, and as I was saying, like, you know, I got here today at 2, and I leave at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, it's like you don't get a chance to really enjoy a city, but you do get this, which is, like, the best part. So you're so kind of shuttled from one place to another, and then you get, like, this hour or two of actual connection with readers that, like, makes all that other stuff so worth it. So our chance for our city to be in your next book is, like, very low because <laughs> yeah. we're not, or we just don't have the time. I don't know. Like I said, I'm staying at the Valley Ho, which is, like, that as a book setting in <laughs> itself. So I, it's, I, it may be. You, you may see Scottsdale. We'll stay yeah. tuned. Yeah. More questions? I have a couple from yes. the online oh, audience. Nice. Um, first of all, Olivia, when can we expect your first book? Oh, oh my gosh. Good. Probably when I'm 90, as I'll start it maybe this year, and then I'll um, 
say, oh, it's terrible. I can't write. Um, that's a very nice question, and I, I do dream of, of, of writing one someday. But I think it's the more you love books, the more intimidating the process oh, I could, seems. Oh, uh, yeah, I can totally understand right? that. Right? I yeah, mean, I can it's totally just, you can, and you can tell what's junk, and I just, I'm just sure it'll be junk, and then people will have to lie to me. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you all lie and say, it's really good. I mean, really? And you're like, no. So, um, but thank you. Good, a good nudge in the right direction. Here's a question for both of you. Um, can you kind of point to any particular book or books that sort of instilled a love of reading when you were young? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, love of reading. Oh, I have like, it's always right there. Uh, it's Matilda by Roald Dahl. That was the first book, which is like an appropriate book to really make you love reading as a kid. But um, I, that was like the first book that I have such a clear memory of just like inhaling it in a day, like not coming out of my room. I just needed to know everything that was going to happen. And then it sent me down like the Roald Dahl like wormhole and I had to read everything. Um, so yeah, that was definitely the first really big one for me. Um, I was thinking of the, um, the Secret Garden, oh, right, uh, Burnett. And the funny thing is, I think it was, must have been during the pandemic, I said to my son, this book was so special to me, and it made me fall in love with reading. And since you're a <coughs> reluctant reader, let's read this together. And it felt so old-fashioned, and really, it just, it just did not create the moment I was going for with him at all. And he was like... Um, so I was like, wait, am I actually discouraging him from reading, you know? And then I had the pleasure of speaking with, um, uh, Jeff Kinney, Diary of a Wimby Kid author, very shortly after that. And he said, you know, what's really important, and he owns a bookstore, and of course, you know, he's got this amazing, 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 amazing career. He said, what's really important is to not force kids to read, like, old-fashioned books that you liked, because that'll just turn them off. What's, what it's really about is finding pleasure in a book. It doesn't matter what it is. And I was like... <laughs> but that was one of my ones and then there was a series that were the shoes it was like oh, ballet yeah, shoes oh yeah, those yeah, and then of course um anything beverly cleary oh yeah yeah, yeah. beverly cleary was a big one he shamed you yeah yeah <laughs> i was like oh i'm such a fail like this is terrible <laughs> don't you find that sometimes you know you you can't go back like uh there's a book that meant so much to you at some point in your life and you go back and read it later and you're like why did I like this? <laughs> <laughs> Different time. Everything, everything is. Absolutely. And sometimes you find a book just when you need it. And that's, I think, Absolutely. what's really magical, too, when, whether it's the escape that you need or the inspiration you need. or. Absolutely. Um, here's another question from Felicia. She would like to know, um, talk a little bit about your process. Do you, do you write in a linear fashion or do you write, uh, do you piece your work together as you go? Yeah, I definitely piece it together as I go. So I do the big outline. That, again, that takes me months. And, it, and again, don't get like intimidated by the word outline. There's no, no capital letters, no Roman numerals. Just telling myself the story. So that takes a few months to kind of get in good shape. But it, you know, it's much easier, like I said, to find a plot hole or whatever that way. Um, but then once I've got that, then I just start writing scenes that I already kind of see really clearly, like the, the things from the outline that really were immediately kind of jumping out and right there. So I do that for a little while until I usually have about like 20, 30,000 words. Um, and then I go back to the beginning and start moving through. Um, so that works best for me. I call those scenes, they're like pins in the map. Because it's like, these are the things I see really clearly right now. I know exactly how this scene goes. And that those kind of can act then as like touchstones for like the tone of the rest of the book. Um, and it makes it like not so intimidating too, 
when again you've got you when you've already sort of got twenty thousand words and they were just all scenes you enjoyed writing, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, well, I've already got twenty thousand words, like I might as well keep going, you know. So that's that's my process. It's messy, but you know, it works. <laughs> and is this is this stuck up on the board? Are you using post? I mean, you're are you really like? Is there a room taken over where you could we could kind of go and it's like we're seeing inside your brain. Yeah, there's, well, there's, like, I really just keep, like, that outline next to me, and then once it really gets down to the nitty-gritty, I just write the chapters or the scenes on, like, a big, I do have, like, a giant Post-it note, just but just, like, one big Post-it, and they're just usually, like, one word that is a key word for me, so, like, I mean, sometimes if you looked, you would just see, like, you know, three, oh, no, and you'd be like, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but, but I do. Um, I have an office outside the home now, which is really nice. I work in, like, um, I just started that back in August. Um, I'd gotten very used during COVID to, like, just, again, writing in my guest room. Before that, I'd written in coffee shops or and, and also in my guest room. Um, but that just was not working anymore. So I work in, like, a collaborative, like, WeWork-esque space, which is really fun because, like, I, I kind of had that office experience that I never had. So there's, you know, a kitchen where we go get coffee, and there's, like, an accountant that works next to me, and I think it's a social worker on the other side. And there's me in the middle with all my little murder books. Uh, my office is so bizarrely decorated. They're all, like, such serious professionals. And there I am with, like, tarot cards and fairy lights and, you know. But they're all so nice to me about it, and it's just really, it's really sweet. So. Is there a bail bonds office? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, I always think of the Google history for any writer who yeah. writes about murder has got exactly. to be very right. You say, I know I'm probably work. probably violating all of their <laughs> internet rules. It would be ideal to only write one book at a time, but like I said, right now I'm I'm just behind on everything, so that's just no longer possible. So I'll turn in the romance tomorrow probably. And then I'm turning in the thriller on Thursday. Wow. So those I have been working on at the same time. And that sucks. And I wish I were not doing that. <laughs> like, quite frankly, I don't love it. But, um, but it is what it is. And, um, but it's, it's not hard to do because the romance and the thrillers are so different. And one thing that I really purposely did was to write them in completely different POVs. So my thrillers tend to be in first-person present. Um, with like sometimes you know some third person flashbacks, but even those are usually present. And my romances are all third person past, and so that way I never ever worry about mixing up the voices. I think if I were trying to do first person present, which is a one of my favorite POVs, in both that would be really hard. But keeping that really strict line has has helped. <laughs> Fast forward, and it would be, you know, the whatever, the killer, the most romantic thriller you've ever read. Like, wait a second, what happened? And I do think, like, the romances, like, influence the thrillers, and the thrillers influence the romances. I think my thrillers are a little more emotional. I mean, I think, like, in its own weird way, as you'll see, there's a really beautiful love story in the heiress. Uh, there's a couple of beautiful love stories in their own weird way. Um, and then I think my romances can get a little darker, a little more plotty, uh, because of the thrillers. So, so yeah, it's, it's a good thing doing both. I just, yeah, I wish I weren't doing both at the same time, right? And it's one of the funny things about, I, I feel for you authors when you're out on tour, because, so this is brand new to us, you know, we're investing <laughs> it right now, like this week we're in it or about to, to get in it. And this was taking over your life quite a long time ago. Right, exactly. <laughs> this was like... Gosh, I think I started plotting it 
in like 2022. Yeah. So it's, and that's, my husband always says that too. He's like, it's just weird. I'm always like, no, we're already, we've already been talking about like two books from now, yeah, you know, uh-huh. everybody's talking about, but it's good though. Cause then that does mean, like you said, with the reviews thing, like you have some distance from it by the time it comes out. Compartmentalize. Wait, okay, which book are we here for? Yes, right, you got exactly, it. <laughs> going exactly. home to a different one. <laughs> You're going out to dinner with one person, and you're going home with somebody else. Exactly. It's just exactly. It's, it's the way of your writing. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Any other questions for us? Any other questions in here for Rachel? Yes. No, it's totally made up. Uh, yeah, I I didn't. I actually had never been to this part of North Carolina. The book is set in until last week when I was on tour there. Um, but I just I like I like to just make it up, you know. Frankly, um, so I had an idea in my head for what the house should look like, and so I just did the best I could to, um, you know. Obviously, like they, we referenced the Biltmore in it, but like it's nowhere near like the scale of the Biltmore, which is just absolutely enormous. But so, yeah, there was like ideas like that. But no, I like to just kind of, I like my own sort of imagination on those things. Yeah, it is. And what about the names? Like oh. the names of your character names, are, are, do people in your life inspire those names? Mm-hmm. Do you, are you keeping a little notepad of amazing names that feel like somebody interesting? Yeah, so names are really, really important to me. Like the book, I really can't get the book until the names are right. Um, and so in this one, yes, like Ruby is a name that I've actually used twice. I have a middle grade called Ruby and Olivia because that's just, I, I had an Aunt Ruby. I love that name. If I'd had a little girl, I wanted to call her that. Um, so, and it just felt good here. Um, Camden was because I was like, he's got like, that is the most like Southern boy name, like the sort of last name is first name thing. Um, and I liked that. Um, and Jules, uh, her name is significant for reasons I can't get into yet. Um, and so, yeah, all of those things. Ashby House is a little nod to, um, there's a book that's an old one called Brat Farrar by Josephine Tay. And it is, it's one of my favorite types of plots, which is, again, before DNA testing, the, you know, the heir to this fabulous fortune disappeared as a child. I, an unscrupulous family member, am hiring an actor to go in and play this kid returned as an adult, and then we'll split the inheritance. And so that's the plot of Brat Farrar, and their last name is Ashby in that. So that's kind of my little nod, since we have this question of identity with Ruby through the whole thing. So yeah, all those kind of things are like, there's a lot of thought uh, that, that goes into it. There's even like clues in some of the characters' last names. Uh, which I like Googled, like, you know, last names that mean this. And so, yeah, so there's all kinds of little things in there because names are, yeah, names are big for me. Um, One important question for me is, do you get upset if you see somebody who folds a corner? Oh, my gosh, no. (laughs) No, no, I am am like the least precious about books. I've dropped books in bathtubs. I will (laughs) fold them over. I will scribble notes on them. I will write phone numbers I needed in the back of one. That is, I am that kind of book person. It's a little feral, but that's how I like to be. Heresy. Exactly. Sorry. Sorry. It's how I roll. 
It is such a pleasure to have you, and you are. I was so excited when I saw that you were coming in real life. Uh, I said she's fun over Zoom. She's going to be amazing in real life. So, um, thank you to everybody who joined us here at Poison Pen. Thank you, Poison Pen, for letting me sit in, and uh, for anybody who's joining us online. Thank you, and thank to you Book guys. Club who showed up and yeah. um, maybe seeing the bookstore for the first time. So, love that. Thank you very much. And thanks so much to Olivia. A round of applause for Olivia. Thank you. And, it was uh, so fun. Thank you. Thanks. For for what you do for for books in general and especially for independent bookstores we really my appreciate pleasure. it my yeah. pleasure thank you and congratulations the heiress is awesome thank you thank <laughs> you so much for this olivia it's been so much fun <laughs> hello we hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors we'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org a hundred percent of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you. <laughs>